Sends it onto the Kumbo. Eight seconds. Backs his way up. Five seconds. Onto the Kumbo. He's got to take a shot. Two seconds. Step back jumper. Got, got it. it. Giannis onto the Kumbo. Bottom. And the buzzer. <laughs> Bam. Woo. Woo. <laughs> and you, you got to love how much easier it is for people to say Giannis under the Kupo's name now. You ever notice that? Like two years ago, nobody could pronounce it and everybody's struggling. Yeah. Now it's just rolling off people's tongues. I said it on NBA TV last night just to show that I could say it. <laughs> oh, you got to love it. Sekou Smith from the Hangtime podcast here at headquarters in Atlanta. My main man, Lang Whitaker in New Yo. York. You might know him as Lang Whitaker. Uh, in Milwaukee, I'm not In Milwaukee that. and other parts of the north. Uh, you got to give it up to Giannis, man. He is yep. flat balling. I mean, I killing it. I have to. I'm waiting for them to ask us to redo our all-star starters uh, <laughs> predictions because clearly I was I was incorrect in my first uh, attempt at it. Yes. But I, I'm still being, just still being held against me in on Twitter by many Milwaukee Bucks fans. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I learned long ago, like very early on, and when, when there was still a question in the uh, Stefan Marbury versus Jason Kidd debate, mm-hmm. and I was on Team Marbury, and uh, Chris Broussard and I used to talk about it very often. And then at, uh, at some point, the, the consensus was, that uh, kid was going to have a better NBA career than than Marbury was, and and I, I, d- I didn't want to go back on my initial beliefs, and I didn't want to lose the argument, basically. Uh, <laughs> although I clearly lost the argument, so I I've learned now that it's no use uh, arguing for the sake of arguing. You're and, right, though. Uh, Marbury has clearly had a better career in China <laughs> than NBA career. That's the yeah. right. I'm saying, but in China, he's killed. I mean, Jason Kidd, he's smoking Jason Kidd over there. He's a, yeah, he has been a way better. <laughs> CBA player. <laughs> well, Giannis is a way better NBA player right now than a lot of people dreamed he might have been. Um, he's he's arguably, and I said this on TV a couple weeks ago on NBA TV, I think he's the second best all-around player in the Eastern Conference behind LeBron. And, I, and I mean, I know Jimmy Butler, um, yeah. maybe a couple other guys might, might have a legitimate argument, but to me, Giannis... Is clearly after LeBron. I don't know if there's another dude who can do as much for his team on both ends of the floor than what Giannis can do. You know I mean, you I tell me if, you, if I'm wrong, but I, I that's what it looks like to me. I mean, he's tw- 22 years old, Lang. Yeah, and doing all this on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You know, go go gadget everything. I mean, I he had a dunk the other night. I know you guys saw the clip of the dunk he had the other night where he took like two steps, started at the dots, and went up and just kept going. You well, know. he had one last night where he took off from the elbow. It was basically a free throw line dunk <laughs> yes. in transition. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing that's so scary is you can see how he can improve still. Yeah. You know, he's still raw. And yes. he's still, a lot of times, doesn't really know how to, to get his shot. Um, isn't as smooth as as you'd like him to be. Sure, sure. Which is what makes him so exciting and what makes, you know, the promise that you see there is yeah. is unbelievable. And uh, he's going to clearly going to be incredible. I think you're right. I can't think of another player in the Eastern Conference other than LeBron who on both ends of the floor can have such an impact uh, for his team. Um, and they're doing this without Chris Middleton, of course. Yeah. Um, six in the, in the Eastern Conference playoff chase, um, right in the thick of things. Do you think uh, – 
if they get Middleton back, do they do they become even scarier? You know, I think and so. they become a team that's even more dangerous come playoff time. You know, they had that stretch a couple of weeks ago where they lost. Uh, I don't even know what it was, but they they were they were losing more than they were winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my good friend Marcus Johnson tweeted actually it's something <laughs> about that he misses. Uh, there's times where you can see where they miss Middleton a lot yeah. at, in those end of game scenarios when now they're having to run plays for. Giannis or uh, Tony Snell or guys like that, and they don't have that that one shot maker guy, um, yeah. you know. And I think Middleton maybe he can come back and be that for them. Yeah, there's no question that. I mean, he can come back and be uh, another quality piece that they'll need if they're talking about climbing the way. You know, and the weird thing is, this is what we thought the Bucks might do last year. Yeah, and it didn't happen. So to see them get you know get back up after it, what I think everybody agrees was a disappointing <laughs> season last year um it's pretty impressive somebody pretty. tweeted last night that the i can't remember who it was but they said the bucks this year are what we thought the wolves would be this year yes i agree i agree um and really when you look at the entire east after those you know really yeah. after that top three from four to twelve basically who um, so you're talking about cleveland Toronto, Atlanta. Yeah, Cleveland, Toronto, and Boston. Sorry. Um, But after those three teams, you look at everybody from Charlotte, really, to to the Pistons and even the Magic. Um, They're kind of in a group where, depending on how you play the rest of the way, um, you got a chance to at least be in the mix for for one of those bottom playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, another interesting team, I think on on the periphery right now is is Chicago and um you know Jimmy Butler's playing out of his mind doing yeah you know 50 point games and just and carrying the load in Chicago um which makes you know a great time to get our man Vince Goodwill from CSN Chicago here on the Hangtime podcast to talk a little bit about the Bulls and everything else going on in the Eastern Conference. Vince, what's up, man? Uh, gentlemen, it's like the triumphant return. I, I haven't done this in like two years, man. Y'all, y'all make me go cold turkey for a while. Nah, man, to... you're too big time for us. We see you got you doing your own podcast, you on TV. Yep. You know, you starting stuff in Chicago. You got pe- people heated at you on Twitter. You ain't got time for a little old us anymore, man. Well, I, I do get people mad at me on Twitter, <laughs> but that's more so for entertainment. <laughs> I'm I'm la- I'm laughing while I'm yelling at people like they really think that I'm like taking this completely seriously, but it's all jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you fresh off Jimmy But another Jimmy Butler outstanding closing show beating Cleveland at the Q um, on Wednesday night. Man, what I I don't get the Bulls right now. I don't get why they're having issues. They they're about what I thought they'd be. Yeah, they're about what I thought they'd be too. I think. You know, say, cool, when we look at teams and evaluate them from the preseason, we, we kind of establish like a variance of, okay, well, this team can win between, if you're Golden State, this team can win between 60 and 70 games. It's usually pretty wide, right? right. For the Bulls, I looked at it as if everything went right, they could win 45 games. Mm-hmm. If everything goes wrong, they'll win 38. It's not much of a wide variance. So basically for them to be a 500 team right. with the personnel that they have, Add to the fact that Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade have been virtually healthy to start the season. Right. You know, maybe they should be a couple of games better, but I think they're right where their talent dictates they should. Yeah, we've talked about this this week on 
NBA.com on the blog table about the Bulls. But my question is, it just seems like the last couple of years, even extending into this year, there's always stories going on that aren't about basketball with this team or with this franchise. And it, it, even now there's the Rondo stuff and Hoiberg and there's, it's just always this constant thing going on of, of, of not basketball stuff. And why is that? And, and are they any closer to just making this thing about basketball? I think it's because of the person you're talking to. It, it, it seems <laughs> to follow me. I, I was in Detroit for all those years and, you know, I, I came to Chicago, and all of a sudden, I'm like basketball pig pen or something. You know, everything, <laughs> it, just, it just follows me. The dirt or basketball Kardashian, whichever one y'all want to pick, pig pen. That's, prob- that's probably what I am. But honestly, yeah, it, it, it's not about basketball all the time. And you wonder, you know, what the goals are for the franchise. Is it to maximize what Jimmy Butler has? Is it to look at Dwayne Wade and say, you know what, we, we got a guy at the end of his career, but he's a, a star player. Will we be able to sort of clean up our reputation league-wide and be able to establish something new for, for the long haul? I wonder what the plan is. Because when you have a guy, and say, say cool, we, we've covered the league for a long time, Lang, Lang, you too, when you're around a guy who's 26, 27 years old on a max contract and you're not trading him, and he's a top 15, top 20 player, whatever you want to put him. Usually that means unless you're the Sacramento Kings, you're going for it. Yeah. You're trying to win. And if you're not trying to win, then there's some level of dysfunction that's preventing you from trying to win. I don't know if there's as much dysfunction as there is indecision. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a consensus on what the plan should be, whether – it was the Derrick Rose stuff or the Joe Kim Noah, Fred Hoiberg stuff, or it was the Jimmy Butler, Fred Hoiberg stuff. Or whatever it is, it always seems to be something with this franchise over the past couple of years. And if nothing else, Dwayne Wade has brought a level of adulthood <laughs> to this franchise <laughs> to sort of put this focus on winning. And I think that's kind of where, you know, look, he's the adult in the room, and maybe I think, a lot of other people outside the locker room need an adult in the room too. Yeah. And hopefully for this franchise, this, you know, proud franchise, they get on one accord and they start to at least get on the same page as far as deciding, okay, we got Jimmy Butler here and we got this big market and we got Dwayne Wade. Let's go for it. Or, you know what? We tried and we can't rebuild on the fly. Let's figure something else out and maybe we need to go to a whole new plan altogether. Vince Goodwill joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast, CSN Chicago, the insider. Um, and, and Vince, not just the Bulls, but really if you look at the entire East from 3 through 12, mm-hmm. it just seems like you could pick out a team and whatever issues they have, you know, whether it's Atlanta with Paul Millsap trying to figure out what to do with him, whether or not to trade him, whether or not to blow it up, all these free agents coming, the Knicks – can't figure out, you know, what to do with Porzingis on a night-to-night basis. Don't know if they can play defense well enough to keep Jeff Hornacek from clowning them in the media. Um, they they can't. They can't. I mean, it's just, it seems like it's one thing after another that's affecting all of these teams in that mix after that top three, really. And we and and Lang, we talked about it. Boston, I think, is getting ready to separate themselves a little bit from the pack and 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 be right there behind Toronto and Cleveland in the East. But Vince, when you look at it, 
does the, is the East shaking out the way you thought it would be when you forecasted this season? In some way, yeah. In some way, because last year it was a little bit like this. It wasn't as many teams per mm-hmm. se. There, because there's only like three bad teams, complete like just garbage trash yeah. sort of teams in the East. Last year they may, there maybe was five, mm-hmm. so you had ten teams competing for eight spots. Now you got twelve right. competing for, or oh, let's just narrow it down and let's just say there's eight teams competing for four spots yeah, in the East. Right. If you're going to say Charlotte, Boston, Toronto, and Cleveland are you know, sort of a half step above everybody else, or at least a half step above everybody else. I thought Detroit would be better. Hmm. I thought the Pacers would be better. I wasn't sure about Washington because I don't trust Scott Brooks under any circumstances. I don't trust <laughs> anything with the Wizards franchise, and I don't trust right. the Knicks because they're the Knicks. Right. But, you know, short of that, just in a macro sense, guys, yeah, I expected the East to sort of play itself out like this at least through the All-Star break. And then, you know what, when teams say, you know what, we're not as good as we thought we are, let's start selling off some of these pieces right before the trade deadline, maybe some things start to change, some some, some directions start to become more clear. And I think that's why there's not this widespread, I guess you could say, panic with the Bulls is that they're not very good, but they're not bad enough to actually fall out. You get a three-game winning streak, you're, you're in the fourth seed. Right back in there, yeah. You're literally right back in there, so your fortunes can change literally in about a week, which can also lead you to some false sense of we're close when you're right. really nowhere near it. Yeah. So so of those teams, of that 4 through 11, there's Charlotte, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Indiana, Chicago, Washington, New York, Detroit, Orlando. Um, and then the bottom three would be you know Miami, Philly, and Brooklyn. But, but of that like 4 through 11 kind of morass of teams there. Is there a team we can discount? Can we can we just say this team, by the, by the end of the season, this team or these teams, they're not going to be in this mix? You know what, Lane? I, I'm, I'm thinking I don't trust Washington and I don't trust New York. All right. For whatever reason. And, and it's, not, it's because the Derrick Rose thing to me is so interesting because I thought Derrick Rose would have a great season and he's trending that way. But I never, I wasn't sure if he would have the effect on winning. Yeah, you know, like he can have, you can have a great year, but not necessarily be able to lift your team along with your individual play. And I think that's something. Yeah. You know, Washington, I just never trust them because they've never proven themselves to be trusted. That's a, those are two teams that I kind of worry about. I actually think Milwaukee's going to start separating themselves mm-hmm. from the rest of everybody, especially once Chris Middleton gets back. They're going yeah. to be a team that nobody wants to face. Right. Atlanta's sort of a mystery to me. But if there's two teams I can sort of discount, maybe I would say New York and Washington, unless Carmelo finds a fountain of youth and can carry a team again. I'm not sure if he can do it. But And even to a certain degree, the Bulls are just utterly unpredictable. Like They can yeah. hang around this 500 mark for the rest of the season and can beat the good teams and lose to the bad teams and you won't know exactly who they are until the third or fourth week in March. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say this. You were around Derek a lot the last couple of seasons in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I've been around him a lot this season in New York. I don't know if I've ever seen somebody as optimistic as he is. 
<laughs> I mean, he is just constantly, every time you talk to him, he's like, well, you know, by the end of the season, I'm going to be back to where I was that MVP level. It's just this and that. And, and you'll be, and somebody will say, well, hey, you guys aren't playing very well, you know, the last 10 games. And well, but, but by the, we're going to get that fixed. And by the end of the season, I, I don't know <laughs> if he believes it or not, but when you talk to him, man, he, he comes across as one of the most confident people I've, <laughs> I've dealt with in a long time. Well, Lane, you have to, you have to think about it this way. You know, starting from media day last season, 15, what, you know, 12, 13 months ago, or I think 15 months ago, he was looking forward to this season yeah. with his contract being up and saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to get it back. So even if he doesn't get it back, he's got to have that inner confidence to say, you know, by the end of the season, I'm going to have the bounce back. He looks like he does have a certain level of bounce back. And in Derrick Rose's mind, you guys have to think, in his mind, when I'm fully healthy, I'm able to lead my team to some level of prominence. In his mm-hmm. mind, he hasn't been fully healthy in years. So all these other things that's happened with the knee injuries and the missteps and everything else, he's always had the backdrop of, well, I was hurt or I was recovering from being hurt or I didn't get a chance to play basketball in the summer and actually work my way up. Right. Now he's actually in the remember, – remember Doc Rivers a few years ago in Boston? Nobody actually beat our starting five. Right. That's, where De- that's how Derrick Rose <laughs> feels about himself on that level. Well, you know, when I'm healthy, I'm an MVP player. Well, Derrick, it was five years ago. <laughs> but when I was healthy, I was an MVP player. So it's hard to sort of discern – you know, the the reality from, from the confidence and add to the fact that he's never had to be the third best player on his own team. Yeah, right. You know what, Vince? I don't. Rose is an interesting case <clears throat> from a player perspective. Having, you know, kind of that institutional confidence in himself just based on his history as a player. I'm finding it really hard to understand why some of these teams in the East and, and certainly around the league don't have the institutional courage to believe in whatever their plan is and to to go for it. Like, you don't hear GMs or front office people from teams speaking as confidently to me about what they're building. And I know we all have off-the-record conversations with executives Mm -hmm. and scouts from around the league. For all of the offensive fireworks and, and the teams that are on the ascent around the league, I've never had more discouraging conversations with front office people than I've had this season about them not thinking that they really got what they need to move up or to, to you know to to move into that next phase of whatever their process is. I'm I'm wondering are you guys having those similar conversations around the league? It's because they don't have guaranteed yeah. contracts. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying, but how they yeah. feel about their team is what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I'll tell I'll tell you why I have I have a theory on that. Two reasons. Mm-hmm. One. The, the most important and obvious reason is job security. If you don't clearly define a plan, then you don't actually have expectations to live up to right, that right. you have to be accountable for. So you can. So if you say, well, we can be a playoff team, but we don't expect to be one, when you don't become one at the end of the season, you can say, well, we said we could be one of <laughs> our young guys developed. You right. know, it's, it's kind of a backdoor thing. The second part of it, and I'm curious if you guys, what you guys think about this. I think there's more frontline, first-tier, second-tier stars probably than any other time since the 80s, you know, per se, the late, the, you know, the mid to late 80s mm-hmm. when the NBA first began, you know, began its, its superstar boom. But conversely, 
I don't know about the second, third tier dependable guys that you can count on. Because if you look at it, it's, it's like the stars, and then it's a right. big drop-off between the third and fourth best player on your team. And those are the guys that if you're a GM or you're a coach, those are the guys that you sort of lean on mm-hmm. that sort of make up the character of your team, that give you the confidence that you can sort of elevate yourself beside in front of the teams that you have. Because, yeah, stars are going to help. But if everybody has a certain level of star, there's got to be something that sort of separates you, like, you know, sort of the, the, the Horace Grant type of player, the right. Joe Dumars type of player, the, the star but not really an outward superstar type of guy but somebody you can just count on. Who are those guys in this league and on these mid-level teams that you can just say, you know what, he may not have a high ceiling, but his floor is not very low. And you I have a, a, a constellation of those type of players that you can depend on to say we're a definitive playoff team and those guys are the reason why. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, there's one guy who I think is like that, and we, we talked about him last night on NBA TV a little bit, Paul Millsap, mm-hmm. who seems to me to be one of those dependable guys. You know he's going to give you 18 and 9 every night. He can create his own shot. He can knock down shots when, when the game's on the line, and I think that's why he's so valuable right now. We were, we talked to him a little bit off the air before we started taping about what, what's going to happen with him and the Hawks and and that team, but he's one of those guys, I think, that, that – you know, it's become where all those guys are, and this sort of speaks to your question, Seku. Cleveland and Toronto, I mean, there's at the top of the East is Cleveland, clearly, and then, you know, maybe Toronto, Boston right behind them. But mm-hmm. all these other teams, like, you, you can make all the moves in the world. You're not going to get past Cleveland. Right. <laughs> you know, like, what, <laughs> what, what chance do the Wizards have of beating the Cavs this year, even if they go out and make a trade? What, what are the Bulls going to beat Cleveland in a seven-game series? You know, there's a very clear line at the top of the Eastern Conference to get through, and I think a lot of these other teams, they, they have to at some level sort of realize that, that maybe it's just going to take either something happening to Cleveland or something seismic happening to their own team to have a chance to, to, to be one of the contenders in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. But don't be a wuss, though. That's my <laughs> right. thing. You're here to compete. Don't be a wuss. You never know what's going to happen in the playoff series. Cleveland has their issues just like any other team at the top of the, you know, at the top of the heap. Anybody, not say sure. anybody can be beat, but, you know, nobody's beat LeBron until June, the past, what, seven years? Seven years, like yeah. on, you like on a Jay Z you on a Jay Z from ninety six to two thousand one <laughs> street where he dominated the summer. But but the, the to me and I and that's something that both of you guys are sort of speaking to, say who you're talking about the institutional confidence and Lang, you're talking about it too. Go out and get it. Yeah. Why be why be afraid and just concede? Like I can see if you're conceding to Golden State. That's that that's because they have a certain level of talent gap. That's so discernible from every from everybody virtually except for the Clippers when they're right, right. and San Antonio because they have they have a certain level of, of success that's not going to have them back down from anybody. But if you're one of these Eastern teams like the Bulls, the Bulls to me are one consistent player away. Yeah. They're a Wilson Chandler away, right? A they're a, a Markeith Morris away, a one guy who can play consistently enough to lessen your dependency on some of these younger guys. Every guy, every team has basically is in a position where they're one guy away from elevating themselves. And if but, you believe in your in your stars, you owe it to them to put the, yourself yes. in that position to put them in front of LeBron. But, but they're, one say, guy away, they're, they're one guy away from what? What what if the Bulls did get a Marquise But it's not Morris just the Bulls, or, it's a bunch or, of teams. 
Okay, but <clears throat> so they're one guy away from what? Are they one guy away from being better than Cleveland? No, and I don't know that they are. But I don't know that not. a lot of these teams are. But Cleveland's the standard bear, and that's well, like Golden State is in beat. the West. <laughs> Cleveland's and, the team you got to oh, get yeah. past. Yeah, but you don't you don't beat them unless you go find a player that can match LeBron, which we know is not happening. But okay. the, but there's no shame in being the next team here's, behind here's them. What it, here's what I here's what I think, and see if you guys can roll with me. LeBron started this trend. I, I think I have this wild and crazy theory, but you guys covered me for a long time. You can follow me. When LeBron did that Detroit demolition in 2007, 48, and, and that game five, yeah. and he was with a Cleveland team that was absolute trash, and they got waxed in the finals. You know what the Boston Celtics did? They said, you know what? The Pistons are very vulnerable. That run is coming to an end. We got assets here. The Pistons are technically at the top, and LeBron is technically coming, but they're not there yet. Let's us get our pieces together first before everybody else does, before this decline really happens, yep. and we'll be at the top. That to me, that's a certain that changed the, the that changed the seismic shift in the Eastern Conference. Did it not for yep. a number of years? Yep. Why doesn't the team think like that and see a top team as being respected but vulnerable? at the same time, and beatable at the same time, go and get it. I think another team that, that did something not as drastic, of, of course, but similar is and was aggressive in how they approached it was Oklahoma City. You know, and every, mm-hmm. remember they laugh, people laugh, like Kendrick Perkins is not going to do anything, you know, it's not going to make a difference. But they, to me, on a, on a smaller scale from what you're talking about, Vince, and that's a great point, mm-hmm. you have to look at the league, you have to survey the league, see where you fit, and then make whatever moves, whether they're huge or just incremental, to put yourself in a better position. I think Danny Ainge has always been a guy, for better or worse, who has looked at his team in relation to the rest of the league and how do I get them back to the, whatever this level is I'm trying to get to. And this brings me back to my point about Millsap and the Hawks and the thing that's disappointing to me. The Atlanta Hawks are not light years away from where Toronto is right now. Right. But this notion that you would blow your team up and start from scratch as opposed to making an incremental improvement or a slight tweak to help you get from five to two or five to three instead of going all the way back down to the lottery and thinking, well, we got to start over and and try and get a talent in the lottery and then give ourselves whatever the four to six years it might take to get back there. To me, Milwaukee is a team that should be thinking right now. Mm-hmm. Who around this league? What player? What Paul Millsap type could push us to the next level? Yeah, well, what about Paul Millsap? It's almost like becoming Major League Baseball in in a way. And I know, Lane, you're you're a big Braves guy, which means you live a life of disappointment. So yeah. I, I get, <laughs> I, I get, but it's almost you know what I'm saying. It's almost like that to a certain degree. Yep. Where go find a closer. There's a yeah. Go find go find them. Yep. There's the haves and the have nots. And at some point. LeBron's body is going to break down because, you know, at some point the numbers are going to catch up to him, right? Or LeBron and Dan Gilbert are going to have another divorce again. Right. Why leave yourself in a position where you're not able to take advantage? And if you go for it and you don't get it, at least you know as a front office and as a franchise, and at least you're showing your fan base, hey, we went out there and we tried. Like, you don't just... To me, you just don't just concede because he's the Michael Jordan of his time. Right. You go and you figure out creative ways. I don't think the Hawks are that far away. 
do you do you go get a different point guard than Dennis Schroeder? Do you go get you know? Do you go add another another two guard? Do you trade an asset in Kyle Corver to try to figure something out? But the whole thing about well, let's just strip it down and get in the draft. To me, that just reeks of that reeks of fear, that reeks of job security, and and that uh, that just reeks of going and tucking your tail between your legs. That's not that's not what we're here for, yeah, in my not, opinion. That's not competing but, at the level. I think. But to me, the, the bigger I mean, Vince, you mentioned earlier, like you know, if you go back and look at 2007 when LeBron knocked out the Pistons, and then the Celtics look at him and say, okay, the Pistons are vulnerable. Let's go all in right now and go after him. I think right now, though, if you look at the top, Cleveland at this point hasn't reached that vulnerability stage yet. Neither, I mean, these teams are getting better. Golden State just added Kevin Durant. Cleveland just changed their coach a year ago and brought in Kevin Love and become this different team. I mean, I think they're still – those teams are still at the top and, and they're still sitting on top. You, you mentioned LeBron being the Jay-Z of this and having to hit every seven, every summer. It made me think my team's the Nas in this. We, we have, <laughs> well, now we, got we, we have a one hit there, every 10 year average. Now I've got his win. Now I've got his win with Ether. Yeah. Right? So if Atlanta's sleeping, then in, we know, look, the Hawks are not this. You know, let's let's just call it what it is. The Hawks are not the stand, standard bearing franchise with no. all this history of going to the finals and everything else. But at some point, you have to start bucking the trend. Yeah, and you can't you just think. play for second place either. And I don't want to be the team whenever the vulnerability does come, because nothing is guaranteed. This idea that you can plot and plan for three and four years out to me is fool's gold. Like right. you better have something on deck, whatever it is, whatever player you've spotted out there that you think turns your franchise in another direction or pushes you to that next level, you got to have – and that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying I'm having these conversations with people around the league, and I don't hear people having a concrete plan of what, they, what they're going to do to move up. You, that's what pro personnel people are for. That used to be the lifeblood of this league, you know. Mm-hmm. This idea – now, and I had a, a very long conversation with an East, Eastern Conference executive that both of you guys know – and he was telling me that this idea where you take young guys and you're bad and you don't surround them with the right kind of veterans has changed dramatically the last seven to eight years in the league. You know, there used to be a time when you always you shepherded, you shepherded your young players through their first couple years with the right kind of vets to help them along in their development. And now it's like, look, I got to put vets around them that allow me to get this young guy on the floor as soon as possible. And he can get, you know, you got a lot of young players, first, second year guys going out there and putting up really gorgeous looking numbers. And it's all for not. Yeah, and it's all for not. They can't, they cannot sustain what you need them to be in order for your franchise to take that next step. And and that to me is worrisome. Not not only that, say cool. Who are the guys that are teaching these young guys how to win as opposed to putting up numbers? Because this has become. Basketball has almost become like baseball, where it's a numbers-obsessed league, not just on the raw stats, but the advanced stats, yeah. the efficiencies, right. and things like that. And you can trick yourself into looking like a better player than you are by under the guise of, well, I'm trying to play efficiently. That doesn't always mean that you're playing best. Right. And if, <laughs> and, and if you don't have the veterans who've gone through the different stages of their careers to be able to, to show you the difference, between playing smart and playing smarter, and and giving you that continuity, you you're right. That's the life. That's the lifeblood of this league. I can tell you from the Chicago Bulls standpoint, 
Dwayne Wade, one of the reasons he came to Chicago, he wouldn't say it out loud, mm-hmm. and he's certainly not trying to raise expectations. But Dwayne Wade feels like, look, the, the Memorial Day weekend, I want to be playing against LeBron in the conference finals. I want the challenge. He feels like that the Bulls can do that. Now, maybe not with the roster at presently constituted, but he's looking at like with a guy like Jimmy Butler being the best player. Yeah. And and me being a guy with know how and I can I can win you a couple games in a series, which we've right. seen Dwayne Wade right. do even at, even at this age. Why can't, especially with this Gulf in the Eastern Conference, why can't we be this team that takes the next step? I would think with so many teams right around that five to, to twelve, you would see more activity. I, yes. I would have thought we'd be hearing more, you know, trade more trade stuff, more teams trying to you know, I know first-round draft picks are gold and everything now, but I'm surprised teams aren't saying, you know what, let's throw these chips to the center of the table to see what happens. Yeah. Let's, let's show our, quote-unquote, Jimmy Butler, our superstar in the prime of his career, that we're behind him and that we're behind our guys and not just trying to, to play for second place or play for the lottery. Let's go for it. Yeah. Lack of institutional courage, I'm telling you. There's another word. There's another word for, it, but I think they would have to use the, the KD yeah. You get you get the be, you get the bleep button if you uh, say that I was, word. I was glad you said courage. <laughs> Listen, Vince, it's good to talk to you, man. I know and we I don't gotta, get get you on here as much, this, but it's I got to I got to tie this all together first. On Tuesday morning, I was in the Atlanta airport. I had a layover. Mm-hmm. It was almost ten thirty. You know, the cutoff time for breakfast to switch over to lunch. I ran over to Pascal's in Terminal B to get some breakfast. I'm standing in line behind Nas. So, <laughs> for what it's worth. Well, that that Were wraps it up for me. Hat too? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this goodwill, man. We appreciate you, brother. We'll see you down the road. Sure, we'll see you in New Orleans for All Star somewhere along this NBA road, man. Thanks. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll be in somebody's party at All Star. Let's hope you know, so. Having having a good wholesome time. Yes, let's hope so. <laughs> appreciate you, brother. Hey, appreciate y'all, man. All right, now. All right. Enough of the Eastern Conference talk. With our man Vince Goodwill, let's let's get the brains of the Hang Time Podcast on <laughs> on the line here with our Schumann stat. Fellas, Shoe, what's happening? What's going on? All right, so we're talking Eastern Conference, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's my question for you: We we talk about the elite teams as being those that sort of rank in the top ten on both ends of the floor. Um, 30 right. of the 39 last 30 of the last 39 champions ranked in the top 10 on both of the both ends of the floor. Three of the other nine ranked at 11th on one end, and then the top 10 on the other end. So here's the question: What Eastern Conference teams rank in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency <laughs> through Wednesday? I know Atlanta's top 10 defensively. I don't think they are offensively. No. This guy's always his reflexes to say ATL show. They're bottom. They're bottom ten. They're bottom ten <laughs> offensively. But yeah. of course, yes, we always have. We have to mention the hostages. But they're no. They're, I know they're good off defensively. <laughs> um, I'm going with Toronto just as a stab. How, how many? Dark. How about this? How many are there, John? Well, that's the, that's the. I guess that's the first question. Okay. How many are there? I'm saying there's. I think maybe there's got to be three out of ten teams. Toronto. Toronto is number two offensively and number seventeen defense. Yeah. Uh, well, Cleveland. Nope. Hmm. Four, 
fourth offensively and 14th defensively. They were top 10 last year. They've fallen off a little bit. Uh, right, what about Boston? Uh, on the Celtics have to Boston. be up there. They're close. Seventh yeah. offensively and 18th defensively. Well, what about the – Maybe the answer is none. The answer is none. Correct. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so then the next question is who is the closest? This team ranks eighth on one end of the floor and 11th on the other end of the floor. And it's been none of the teams that we've mentioned so far. Charlotte. Close. They're 12th on offense and 7th on defense. God, this is like, this is starting to feel like bragging rights. <laughs> uh, this team an East is 8th. Eighth on offense and eleventh on defense. They were actually top ten on both ends of the floor as recently as a few days ago. Uh-huh. Milwaukee, it's not the Knicks. The Milwaukee Bucks. Up, somebody said it. I, I heard somebody yeah, say Bucks. it. Yes, yes. It only the took Milwaukee me ten minutes. Bucks wow. are the closest Eastern Conference team to ranking in the top ten on both ends of the floor. They have the eighth best offense and the eleventh best defense through Wednesday. Jason Kidd, Coach um, of the Year, baby. They actually have the third, the East's third best point differential, but behind Toronto and Cleveland. Um, but sort of late game issues sort of have them at a point where their record isn't as good as their their point differential. So this is a team. I think Bucks are a team to, to sort of keep an eye on as a team. You know that could be a top four seed if things sort of go their way late in games, uh, like they did last night. I mean, look, they're they're an exciting team to watch without knowing the numbers. I mean, they, to me, they're just one of the fun young teams to watch in the league right now. Um, and they got, be, be, and they got a superstar, in, you know, in the yeah, making. I'll, I'll be honest. When Chris Middleton was hurt uh, yeah. before training came, I wrote this that team off. I was like, well, you know, Antetokounmpo and, and Parker are going to get better, but they're not going to get good enough to – you know, Middleton was their best player last year. Right. And now I, they have a new best player, and he's better. You I think know. they still clearly miss him, though. Like, you know, at the end of games, there's a lot of times where where they don't really quite know what to do. Giannis made the shot to win it, but the possession before that, he kind of they weren't really sure what to make out of that. So I think Middleton, when he when he comes back, and I know he's talked about trying to come back this season, um, yeah. that could be a really big addition. I have, I have a trivia question for you, John. I found right. this. I came across this over the holidays, and I marked it away because I just thought it was interesting. It's not really related to the current NBA, but... Who was the first player in NBA history to have 200 steals and 100 block shots in the same season? 200 steals and 100 block shots. In the same season. Give me an era or a sort of a, around what are we talking like? Um, early was, 80s, late 80s, early What are we talking about? Let's say it was uh, in the 80s. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's not Michael Jordan, is it? It's Michael Jordan. Ah, wow, that nice. damn Schumann. 1986, 1987, 236 steals, 125 blocks. Then the amazing thing is, the next year he did it again. 259 steals, 131 blocks. It had never happened up until then. Then Jordan did it two years in a row. The next season, uh, Elijah Wan did it. The next season, Scottie Pippen did it. Um, and then it, it happened again recently um, with LeBron uh, did it and Kobe. How many points? Uh, how many wait, points no, was sorry. Jordan averaging when he was doing LeBron it? And Kobe were the, LeBron and Kobe were the closest guys since then, but neither of them actually did it. 
But 86, yeah. 87, I mean, that was one of, uh, in 87, 88, those were Jordan's prime years. Let's look. I don't know what his points per game were those years. He was balling out, scoring like crazy, too. So it's... I'm going to look it up. Yeah. I remember he was the only person I ever want, I wanted on my fantasy team back in those days. That was by fact when I did play fantasy back in the 80s. <laughs> he was the only one you needed. Yeah. Uh, um, I got a similar trivia question like that, but I'm going to save it. I'm going to put it away for, for 80, a later. Okay, save for it. Yeah. Later, 86, for 87. Another week. He, he averaged uh, – 37.1 points per game. Good Lord. 87, 88, 35 points per game. Good grief. He also, that 86, 87, he averaged 2.9 steals a game, and the next year, 3.2 steals per game. It was unbelievable. The GOAT. The GOAT. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says about it. John Schumann, you are the GOAT of the Schumann stat on the Hangtime Podcast. Appreciate your brother. Talk to you next week. All right, fellas. All right, man. Thanks. Bragging writes... Going to start 2017 laying like I finished 2016 on top. Mm. <laughs> it's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. The champ is here. I, w- I won 2016. I, I want to. Do I get a trophy for winning the no. 2016 no. portion of it? What? <laughs> Nothing. What do you mean, no? <laughs> Can't negotiate this? 2016 17 season. <laughs> Thank you, John. As. 17 in it. <laughs> All right. Well, I know I did great last week, so uh, you don't even have to tell me. I'm, I'm sure I killed it over Christmas. Um, okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> two and three. You both went two and three on the five games. Uh, nice. Nice. So after six weeks, Seku's at 11 and nine, and Lang is at nine and 11. Right there. Somebody, right, right, right there. there. Yeah. Right there. So, one, week, one week can turn the whole thing around. <laughs> this could be your week. So we're going to start uh, on... I've been, I've been saying that for the last 37 <laughs> years. At least he didn't go over. So this week we're going to start on Friday with Grizzlies at Warriors. Warriors. Grizzlies. I'm going with the Warriors. The Warriors. Yeah, I, I, the Warriors. Two Warriors? Yes. Then we're going to go to... Let's go Saturday, and let's go with Hornets at Spurs. 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 Come on, man. Hey, these are. Well, I'm not, uh, now listen, I'm not going to make it. You a... said the same thing last time, and you guys went no. over. Yeah. Ago, so. I'm not going to make some. I'm going to make some pick just to spice this thing up. I'm trying to hold on to my lead. Okay, let's let's want to scratch that last Spurs game. No. Yes. Okay. Yep. There's yep. a better. There's two better games on Sunday. All right. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. We'll do, do I'm trying to. I'm Sunday. trying to win. What's what? I mean, we'll keep Hornet Spurs on there. Okay. <laughs> Samara, I don't understand Samara. why it's so difficult. Everybody, believe. I'm trying to win. I, I want to win in 2017. So then we'll go to Sunday for the third yep. game and do Rockets at Raptors. Ooh, that's that's gonna be a really good game. On League Pass, 6 p.m. Eastern. I mean, forget bragging rights. That's gonna be a damn good game. I'm taking Houston. Um, I'm gonna go with the Raptors. All right. We the North, baby. Shout out to the six. Fear the beard. All right. Well, I'll, listen, I, I want it to be known. I don't have New Year's resolutions and that good stuff, but I, I want to win in everything I do in 2017, and that includes bragging rights. You stop cheering for Michigan? Take it easy. I'm still I'm still sore about that one. Don't get me started. Um, we need to uh, go ahead and thank – our guest, Vince Goodwill from uh, CSN Chicago, joining us this week on Hangtime Podcast. Our main man, John Schumann, with the 
always interesting Schumann stat. Lang almost stumped him for a grand total of three seconds today with his own trivia question. <laughs> Didn't work. Uh, be sure to leave a glowing review. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And there's a new episode every Thursday right here on the Hangtime Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes for a new episode every single Thursday this season. And as always, people, remember, say kuna matata.